It was 15 years ago on Labor Day weekend that Nicole and I arrived in Chandler. And so um, it's not the exact date, but this Labor Day weekend, I'm preaching to you, feels like 15 years. I'm ministering here in Chandler. Um, and I got to be honest with you, normally when you approach uh, a significant date, a marker like this, um, it's a time of nostalgia and remembrance and celebration. Hopefully, if you already have or when you do reach the 15th anniversary with a loved one or at your job, it's a time of Thanksgiving. But to be honest with you, this past week has been pretty difficult for me um, because the 15th year has been the roughest for sure. It's been the hardest. Um, and that's saying something because 20, 2008 was really bad. Um, and I'm thankful for each one of you that's here, and I'm thankful for how God continues to work in our midst and do work in our hearts and lives and in our church. And I'm thankful for the spirit that we've had in these services here in the gym and how many of you stayed engaged even through the online portion. But doing ministry like this is very difficult. It's been hard. And so... Right now, we're probably in what might be, perhaps, I can't say for sure, maybe it's going to get worse. This might be the most difficult time to do ministry in my lifetime. Say, Pastor Jane, why are you starting off your message in such an encouraging way? <laughs> because I don't say this like boastfully or, or pridefully. I want to I illustrate something for you. Through this time, it is, I've never entertained the thought of quitting. I've never entertained the thought of stepping away from this. A week ago, I was talking to my grandmother, and she's always really concerned about me. Sometimes she'll watch the live stream, and she'll message me later, are you okay? You look really tired today at church. And we were talking about how things have been going and how difficult it's been during this season and how it's been a time of goodbyes and how it's been a time of, of hurt, and it's been a time of, of pruning, not just in our church, but in the American church. And she said, Daniel, do you ever think about doing something else? And I said, without like a moment's hesitation, no, because I love what I do. I feel called to it. I feel like preaching the gospel is at the intersection of what I desire to do, what is just most, the most enjoyable thing that I do in my life, and also what I'm called for. It's my purpose. And so here at the intersection of those things, even when it's been the most difficult, I love what I do. And I hope that in your life, there's something that fits into that category. I hope that there's some role that you get to play. Maybe it's as a parent. Maybe it's as a spouse. Maybe it's as a teacher. Maybe it's as someone who has a job that's important where people rely on you. And it's something that you enjoy doing. You feel like you're fulfilling your purpose. And you have a desire to make a greater impact in it. That, that would be something that you delight in. Because I think that when you experience something like that, when you have something like that in your life, you will do this thing, whether or not you're paid to do it, whether or not it's easy. This week, uh, coming up on a holiday weekend, uh, typically a pastor's text messages leading up to a holiday weekend are marked with, hey, I'm not going to be there Sunday. And so even leading up to this holiday weekend in the midst of a pandemic, 
and having a lot of those conversations of like, hey, we'd love to be there, but we won't be able to make it this weekend. I've been really excited to preach to you from Psalm chapter 1 because this is what I love to do. And years ago, I would say, you know what, even if nobody else was in the room, even if nobody else showed up, I would still do this, and it would be hypothetical. But I've done that because for 12 weeks, I preached my messages with nobody around, hoping that maybe you'd watch it online. I still do this because I love to do this. God has geared me that way. He's called me to it. And I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus died for the people of this community. If I lost my voice in an accident or due to some disease, I think I'd still try to find some way to communicate truths in written words. I'd still be all about this process of studying God's word and sharing it with people, a particular group of people in a particular place and a particular time with a particular group of spiritual needs. And that brings us to Psalm chapter 1. Because Psalm 1 tells us that if we delight in something, we will do it in all seasons. That if we delight in something, it will be something we're passionate about when it's easy and when it's hard. You see, I haven't started my message this way to get your sympathy or for you to feel bad for me because I love what I do. A reason I've started my message this way is I want to illustrate to you that if you have the similar passion and a similar delight for God's word, that you will spend time in it no matter the season whether it is a hard time or an easy time, whether it is a busy time or a slow time, whether it is a time when there feels like there's so much fruit coming as the produce of what you're doing or a time that feels like a drought. If I love being with Jesus, I'll spend time with him in good and in bad, when it's hard, when it's easy, when it brings immediate fruit, and even when there are no clear results. So let's read Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man. The beginning of this service, Don led us in prayer and asked you to do a responsive reading with him. And in that responsive reading, it was, it was the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And when New Testament Christians who were trying to live out those Beatitudes, when they went back and translated the Old Testament into Greek so that people that lived in their time period could read the Old Testament, they translated Psalm chapter 1 and they used the exact same word in Psalm chapter 1 that Matthew used in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed or happy is the man. Blessed or happy is the person. And it literally means a joy. It's not a happiness that you get for a moment. You know that happiness that you got when you were a little kid and you got what you wanted for Christmas? Can you remember that moment? And you were so pumped that you got that bike or you got that wagon or you got that Nintendo. But then that, that, that happiness faded away as the toy tarnished or the kid down the street got a newer one or a better one. This happiness is a joy. It's a, it's a, it's a feeling of sublime. It, it's a feeling that's often brought on by nature. I experienced it this morning on my way to church. I was driving to church this morning, and I was coming down the highway into Chandler, and the sun was rising, and there was fog settled in the fields on either side of the highway, and it was just a beautiful, spectacular sight. And it was a moment that I just said, man, this is awesome. 
And perhaps you've had a similar feeling when you've sat on the beach or you've looked into the Grand Canyon or you've looked at the mountains. There's that sublime feeling of this is amazing. This is bigger than me. This is beautiful. That's what he's talking about here. That is the the experience that a man who what? Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So verse 1 starts off by saying the things that he doesn't do. It's the negatives. But David is starting with the negatives to set up the positive. Here's what's coming. And so if we set those aside, we could really sum up Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2 as, Happy is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Happy is the man who doesn't do these things, but instead of those things, he delights in the law of the Lord. And then in David's poetic language, he goes on through verses 3 to 6 to tell us what he's like. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The chaff is the outside of the wheat. It's the part of the shell that you throw away. It's the banana peel that you peel away to get to the banana. The chaff was the part around the wheat that they had to get rid of so that they could grind the wheat into grain. It's useless. You throw it away. And so for the one who does not delight in the law of the Lord, the one who does not seek after God, he chases after things that will blow away with the wind that are useless. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I love preaching, so I'll stick with it in good times and bad. I don't love working on my lawnmower. So yesterday, I tried to fix my old lawnmower. And I spent several hours putting it back together, fixing this thing that was broken, putting it back together, and it was still broken. And when it was still broken, I didn't say, yes, I get to work on this again next weekend. I didn't say, all right, I was hopeful that this would be an ongoing thing. I was hopeful to be done with it, to have it fixed, to get the end result of a fixed lawnmower. I don't feel called to, I don't take joy in working on a lawnmower. I don't desire more of it in my life. I do not delight in it. And so yesterday when it wouldn't work, I threw my tools back in the toolbox, I pushed the broken mower into the garage, and I shut the door and walked away. And if you came and stole it from my garage, I would not care. I'd be glad that it was gone. I might even help you load it into your truck. You see, in situations like that, it's not the process that we love, it's the outcome. I don't love working on the mower, I want a fixed mower. And if I had entered into ministry just loving the outcome, just loving responses of people, just loving attendance, just loving a growing church, and not loving the process of studying God's word and communicating it to people, this would have been a very difficult season. But if I love the process, 
I stick with it no matter the outcome. And hear me, okay? If you just love the outcomes that God can give you, and you don't love the process of being with him, you don't love him. If I only love the results, if I only love spending time with God when there's a clear, tangible benefit, if I only practice religion or practice Christianity when there's the obvious benefit of people seeing what I'm doing, I don't really love Jesus, and when things get hard, or it doesn't bring that immediate, spontaneous, immediate result, I will bail. I'll quit. David points to the fact that when we delight in the law of the Lord, we'll be planted by, like a tree that's planted where? That's planted by rivers of water. You know what the benefit of a tree planted by rivers of water has? It doesn't depend on the rain. It doesn't depend on the weather. It doesn't depend upon circumstance. A tree that's planted by rivers of water always has access to the source of life. It doesn't have to hope that the meteorologist is going to forecast rain for this weekend and hope that for once he's right because the tree is planted by a river of water. And he says that a tree that is planted by rivers of water always bears fruit, and there's an important phrase there, in its due season. David doesn't say that a man who delights in the law of the Lord will always bear fruit, but he will always bear fruit in due season. There are seasons where your garden doesn't produce because it's winter. And there are seasons that life is difficult and there are seasons where we are giving our all to the Lord and we are coming to him in prayer and it feels like there is no fruit, but we are in a winter and there is coming a spring where the green shoots will sprout forth. Always bears fruit in its due season, but its leaf shall not wither. There are seasons in life that we are not as productive. And there are seasons of life where things do not go as we expected or as we planned. But if we continue to delight in the Lord, even in these winter times, even in these difficult seasons, while we wait for the fruit that comes in due time, our leaves do not wither. Let me ask you something. Have your leaves withered in the difficult times? Have your leaves withered? in the hard times. I want to be one who is evergreen, who is faithful in season and out of season, who experiences the spirit of the Lord and his strength in good times and in bad. What David tells us here is that if that's going to happen, I've got to delight in the law of the Lord. Let's talk about that word, delight. The word that David uses here for delight, it's, it's a word that is used several times in Scripture for pleasure, for purpose, and for desire. And the root word comes from the, to bend. When I was a boy, I remember my father took me to this flea market. And I went with my father because there was this guy who sold baseball cards. And I wanted to buy baseball cards. How many of you remember baseball cards? 
We're walking through this flea market and I saw a quarter on the floor. And that's valuable because that quarter could have bought me a couple extra baseball cards. And so I bent over to pick up this quarter and it wouldn't budge. Because one of the shopkeepers there at the flea market, he had glued that quarter to the floor. He'd set up some cheap entertainment for himself that everyone who came by would try to pick that thing up and then they couldn't get it up. Quarter was something that I was willing to stop and bend down and try to pick up. And this word here is used for something that is worth stopping for. That is worth reaching down for. As I get older, there are fewer things that are worth bending down to the ground for. But what David is saying here is that the law of the Lord is something that I delight in, something that I continue to find pleasurable, something that I can continue to find as part of my purpose, and something that I continue to desire. That is what the law of the Lord is. You see, I believe the main reason that we do not spend time with God is that we don't want to. The main reason that we do not spend time with God is that we do not want to. Because if we wanted to, we would. I had a friend who attended a class. Went to this Bible college to take this this special class. And it was all about prayer and seeking God's face. And the professor said, who here wants the anointing of God? And this poor unsuspecting student in the front row raised his hand. And he said, do you have it? And the young man said, no. And he said, if you wanted it, you'd have it. If you wanted to spend time with God, you would. If you wanted to seek his face, you would. You see, I believe that everyone here would agree with the statement that spending time in God's word and studying his word is a part of a Christian's purpose. And probably every one of us would say that it's something that we desire to do more faithfully or more regularly. It's something that we, we know that we ought to do because it's a part of our purpose. And we want next year's going to be the year that we actually do our devotions. And so we recognize that it's a part of our purpose. And we know that it's something that we should desire. But because we don't enjoy it, we don't experience it. See, I'm blessed that I'm geared to feel that I'm called to preach and I desire to make an impact on people and I enjoy the opportunity of sharing God's word with people and where those three things intersect is delight and in your life if there's something that you feel called to do and you desire for more of it and you also enjoy it you will do those things some of you here you know that you need to lose some weight you know that you should be healthier And you desire to be thinner, but you don't enjoy exercise or dieting. You know how I know that? Because I'm that person. And people like us don't like those of you who enjoy exercise and dieting. But when that piece of the puzzle comes in, it is easier for you to stay in shape. I think that For the people who are gathered here in worship today on a Labor Day weekend, most likely you know that we should be spending time in God's word and you want to see that come about in your life. And so the reason that you don't is because you do not delight in the law of the Lord. It's not something that you will bend your life for. It's not something that you will stop everything 
to reach after. So how do we come to love the Lord and his word? I think that the reason that we do not enjoy, we do not delight in God's word is we believe two lies. And the first lie that I think we've believed is that we think it's not spiritual if it's enjoyable. We think it's not spiritual if it's enjoyable. I mean, if we're having fun, it can't really be godly, right? We have this view of God in our minds. We have this dismal view of spirituality, and that drives us from worldly pleasures. We think to be holy is to not go after the worldly pleasures, and that's correct. But in our minds, that has become we go away from pleasure, period. And the truth is, is that God's word doesn't drive us away from pleasure, but rather unholy, soul-damaging pleasures. God wants you to have a great time. God wants you to enjoy all that this world has to offer, but he doesn't want you to enjoy it in a way that destroys your soul. You see, we have come to believe that our, the lie that our children believe. How many of you have ever told your children to stop doing something? And they look at you like you are just there to ruin their good time. They have become convinced that you're just there to be a buzzkill. But the reason you told them to stop playing in the street is because you don't want them to be hurt. You would love for them to play outside. You would like for that to happen. But you want them to do so in a way that doesn't end up in an emergency room visit. God wants us to enjoy this life, but his laws lead us away from soul-damaging practices. David, who wrote Psalm 1, he would write this epic poem, this epic long poem, Psalm 119. 150 verses split into the, 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 the different letters of the Jewish alphabet, an acronym for the whole alphabet. And it was all talking about God's law and how good it is, how good God's word is has like verse 14 I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches you know what verse 14 says I have rejoiced in spending time in your word like someone would rejoice if they won the lottery I mean how do you think you'd act if you won the lottery how do you think you'd act if Tuesday morning there was a knock at your door and it was published as clearing house with one of those giant checks. You'd be pretty excited, right? David says, I will delight in your law, in your word, in your truth, like someone who delights in many riches. When I say, hey, turn to Psalm chapter 1, we should act like publishers clearinghouse just showed up with a giant check. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. God, it is pleasing to me. I will hold on to it. I will never forget it. Psalm 119, verse 35. God, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I find it a joy to walk in it. David didn't look at spending time in God's word as some unpleasant chore that he had to do. 
And as I beg you to win the day, as I challenge you to start each day with God's word, to go to the Bible before you go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Fox or CNN, I'm not asking you to do something that is displeasurable or difficult. I'm asking you to do something that can be quite enjoyable. And by the way, if it's not unholy to enjoy it, make yourself a good cup of coffee or three. Find a good chair to sit in or sit out on the deck in the cool morning air. Make yourself some bacon. Have a good breakfast and sit down with God's word, not as though it is some chore that you have to get through before you can get to your day, but rather sit down with God's word as the moment that you get to enjoy with the Lord before the craziness of this day starts. We believe the lie that if it's pleasurable, it's not holy. And the life of Jesus makes it clear that that is just simply not true. Because the life of Jesus makes it clear that he was no stick in the mud. He knew sorrow and he knew grief born of compassion, but he also laughed and he enjoyed good meals with close friends. And then, to save us from suffering, he went to the cross and endured the greatest suffering to offer us peace. That's not a God who doesn't want you to enjoy good things. That's a God who died so that you could. You see, we don't have to suffer to want spirituality. Jesus won it for us. He suffered for us. Two lies that we believe. One is that if it's if it's enjoyable, it's not spiritual. That's a lie. Second, we think the Bible is boring. And just as the gospel of Jesus going to the cross for us tears down that first lie, it tears down this lie as well. Because the gospel is the story of our rescue. The gospel is the story of God reaching down, bending down from heaven and taking delight in fulfilling his purpose and calling and desiring to be with us. It's the story of God delighting in us. It's the story of God loving us first. You see, when we look at God's word and we see how desperately wicked all of these people are, and we start to see ourselves in the lives of those people and we start to realize that we are desperately wicked we start to see how wonderful Jesus is. We start to see that we are the villain of this grand story and that God has sacrificed himself for us to win us. And we see that we are worse off than we could have ever imagined. But we are more loved than we could ever dream. Tim Keller said, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. And when we look to God's word and we see his grace, what we see there is beauty. And we feel that sublime experience like we get a glimpse of at the sunrise or sunset, at the beach, at the mountain, in the lake. But see here as Christians, we're like a man who says that he loves his family and then takes every opportunity to get away from them. 
We're a people that say that we love God, but then put everything else above spending time with him. Now, if I was to counsel that man, I would not give him tips or tricks to save time so that he had more time to spend with his family. I would tell him to fall in love with his family again because then he wouldn't need any tips or tricks to save time. He'd look for every opportunity to spend time with them. And I could give you tips and tricks on how to save more time so that you can spend time with God, but I think that if you love him, I won't have to do that. If you find him beautiful, you'll look forward to those moments of delighting in his word. If you delight in the Lord, I won't have to convince you to spend time with him.